You're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio. Welcome back to Launchpad on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Carl Ulrich, and I'm thrilled to welcome our next guest, Alex French, co-founder and CEO of Busy Coffee. Alex, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. All right, first things first, let's make sure our listeners have got that brand and website right. So it's Busy, B-I-Z-Z-Y, coffee, busycoffee.com. All right, Alex, where do we find you today? Uh, well, I'm in Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota, personally. Uh, you can find Busy Coffee everywhere. Uh, on All right, Amazon we'll get to that stores, in a minute. But, I just okay. wanted to, uh, so you're, you're in Minneapolis, and we'll get to that in a minute. But give us, give us the elevator pitch. What's Busy Coffee all about? Yeah, so we focus on cold brew coffee for at-home consumption. Um, arguably, we focus on being the best tasting. So we have a long, slow brew process. We don't pasteurize um, a true cold brew product. Um, that's kind of the kind of the pitch. All right. So I I I guess I ventured very tentatively into the world of cold brew. Treat me like I'm five years old. Tell me what cold brew is. Yeah, so cold brew is actually a process. Same okay. with same with espresso. So if you look on the spectrum, you have espresso on the far end, which is essentially powdered coffee that steam goes through. Mm-hmm. We're on the complete opposite end where it's coarse ground coffee. So it's very large particles of coffee and it's brewed for 18 hours at room temperature. So it really is a process. And as a result of that process, because it's low and slow, as you could say, um, it doesn't extract tannic acids. So the product is naturally smoother. It was actually initially developed for people that had acid reflux. So um, it really is a, a different product taste quite different relative to say espresso or, or a traditional hot brewed coffee. All right. And then, well, I've got some acid reflux, so I'm, I'm getting more and more interested here. What, what can I do? Do people always drink it cold or can cold be, brew be drunk hot? You can absolutely drink it hot. The vast majority of people do drink it cold. Mm-hmm. Um, but my dad doesn't like cold coffee. He drinks it hot. Um, so yeah. it just pops in the microwave. Otherwise, um, you can, when you brew it yourself, you can make it concentrate and then you can add that into hot water if you don't like to use the microwave. Yeah, no, this is what is catching my attention. The idea I could just have that jug in the, in the refrigerator and not go through the whole process every morning. Mm, yep. I like that idea a lot. All right. So it's to be consumed at home, but tell us the form factors that you sell it in. Yeah. Yeah. So we have kind of three primary product lines. We have two lines for what I call the brew-it-yourselfer. And so that is a ground coffee. It's the coarse ground, and you would use a cold brew coffee maker. It's basically a pitcher with a, a, a filter in it. Mm-hmm. So that's our biggest seller on Amazon. That's got almost 12,000 reviews, the best seller in the category. The the brew, the, the device or the... The, the ground. The grounds. Oh, the grounds. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We, all we try and sell is the consumable product. Okay. Yep. And so we have that product line. We then have a line called a brew bag, which mm-hmm. is you can brew it in anything. So you don't need the specific device yep. and it's think of it like a multi-serve tea bag. So it brews mm-hmm. a pitcher. Some people call it a pitcher pack. Um, and then the biggest product line for us is our multi-serve ready to drink pre-brewed cold brew. And that's what you'll find in Target or your, your local grocery store. And that's going to be kind of in the dairy section, think like a gallon yep. of milk, but cold brew coffee. It's essentially just the brew. It's a brewed bag of coffee, if you will. Yeah. Yep. 
All right. Super interesting. I got to go give it a try. And, 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 and just to follow up on the technical question, other than the coarseness of the grind, can I just go into the grocery store and turn the dial on the grinder to make it more coarse? Or is there something else that's special about cold brew coffee? Yeah, so you can do it that way. Mm -hmm. um, what we've found in all of our research is the grinder actually matters a lot. Without getting too technical, the grind size is extremely important. Mm -hmm. Lower, smaller partic particles of grounds get over extracted, big chunks get under extracted. So we use a, a commercial grinder, it's called a roller grinder. Mm -hmm. And then we actually sift out the, mm. the powders. So it, you know, we would say that we have the best process. Mm -hmm. We actually throw away seven, what well, we upcycle 7% of our coffee through our grinding process. Mm -hmm. um, but as the at-home consumer that you're just getting into it, you certainly could just set it to the coarsest grind. Yeah. It's not going to be as coarse as ours. So you'll probably brew it for 12 to 14 hours. Yep. Um, but you'll, you will taste that it's not going to be as smooth because some of those grinds will be powdered and then thus over extracted. So it, yep. it may not be as good as some other products, but you can certainly make it yourself. Yeah. So we, we, we find you in Minneapolis and for the listeners out there on audio only, Alex is dressed in a, in a fleece because it is Minneapolis after all. Um, what possessed you? to start making cold brew in Minneapolis? You know, honestly, it was just pure product. So I happen to be in Minneapolis living here yeah. anyways. Um, I don't like hot beverages. I get sweaty and uncomfortable. And yeah. my roommate uh, at the time, co-founder, he had really bad acid reflux. Mm. And we were actually training for a 24-hour race and wanted some sort of like high caffeine, natural, zero sugar product. And so coffee is a great option because it's high caffeine relative to say a tea or something. Yeah. It's natural. But for the same reasons that I had mentioned, we didn't like hot coffee. I got sweaty. He had acid reflux. We were drinking copious amounts of it. We were turned on to cold brew um, in the early days and just started making it ourselves. And at the time, from a business perspective, I was actually working at General Mills in their venture capital division that had access to this beautiful thing called data hmm. and saw that coffee is like a $15 billion category. And we kind of just believed that the future of coffee was going to be cold. Uh, and we happened to be in Minnesota. And so here we are. Yeah. All right. So that if I, if I just look at the databases, it looks like you've been, you've been around about, about seven years, uh, se seven years ago was cold brew, a thing? Were there a bunch of people trying this or was this just the, the frontier? It was the new frontier. Um, mm -hmm. It was very much like we were drinking it ourselves. We considered ourselves early adopters. Mm -hmm. But what we were doing is we were looking at Google Trends and we would mm -hmm. see that in the summer, it would grow 300% year mm -hmm. over year over the last five years. And now, of course, when you're looking backwards, it looks like this. Now, when we look again, that was just, there was nothing, right? It was yeah. pittance at the time because it's just completely skyrocketed. So yeah, we were early adopters to the category. Now we weren't first. There was a company called Chameleon out of Austin, Texas mm -hmm. that we were aware of. They were not in our market. So we're kind of like, well, let's, let's go, let's go chase them. Yeah. So you, if I look at your, your background, you were in retail and then in General Mills in the, in the venture unit, you, you were not a naive it wasn't like you are a barista that says, Hey, I can start making the stuff and sell it out of the back of my car. Uh, you went into this presumably with your eyes open. What, what did you consider to be the key success factors? What did you set out to build in order to create value here? 
Yeah. I mean, we, we struggled out of the gates. I mean, for better or for worse, I did know what I was doing. Yeah. And all I saw was massive hundred million dollar launches at General Mills before I was in their venture division. Right. I was on Cheerios. So I saw huge wow. successes, big hundred million dollar marketing budgets. Um, I just assumed you launched a product and everyone picked it up, right? Super naive to that, not how it works. Um, honestly, the reason that we're still around is because we're still around um, and we just didn't quit. So the category has morphed. We've had five, six different iterations of our products, different formats, pack sizes, prices. Um, we just kind of stayed around and just believed that cold coffee was the future and that we would figure it out. Um, and that was kind of the key thing that's allowed us to stay in the game. And we're really the last brand standing of the cold brew wars, as I like to say. Um, and it was just really staying focused on winning at home when most people were trying to win in single serve. We said, let's, let's get consumers where they're consuming the most. So that, that probably insight and strategy decision is, has what allowed us to, to stay in the game. Yeah. So, oh, so much to ask about that, but, but let me first ha have you reconcile that with what I thought I heard you say, which was that your biggest seller is ready to drink. Um, so ready to drink, are they, are they buying it and taking it home? Or are they buying it like so? So how is that? How do you reconcile that with what you just said, which is everyone else tried? Yes, the single serve. Yeah. So clear distinction, and I'm been in this category fundraising for seven years, and I have to clearly articulate it. We are multi serve. Mm. So you're buying a jug for your fridge at home. You are not taking this on the go, and that clear distinction for us means my product gets put into your thermos and added with cream and sugar and whatever fad diet they're doing, as opposed to the single serve, which is your Starbucks Frappuccino, which, as I've learned, is competing with the Starbucks storefront that has a fresher coffee. So clear distinction, tough if you're not as in the weeds as I am to make that distinction, but multi-serve at-home consumption very specifically. But, but why does that? Why why is that pivotal here? I mean, I'm thinking about. I, I noticed on your website you're now in Publix, so a big grocery grocery chain. Are you in a different part of the store? Or yeah, we yeah. so we're we're next to Juice. I yeah. mean, this is in the back of the store. You know, you always know that milk and eggs are in the back of the store. Yeah. We're next to that. So yeah. we're not by any single serve grab and go products where I sell to the dairy buyer, yeah. not the energy drink. Buyer. Yeah. Interesting. So, so then just to further diagnose here. So what you're saying, if I hear you correctly, is that single serve is, is just too brutal. It's just too competitive. Single serve yeah. is the double black diamond of startups. Yeah. All right. So, so unless, unless you, and well, yeah, so much to say there. So unless you just win first. the Darwinian uh, race or you have hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, st stay off the double black diamond. Yeah. I mean, you have to have hundreds of millions of dollars. There's a famous yeah. story of the guy that did body armor that just sold to Coca-Cola year one, he invested $50 million yeah. and the next five years he invested another $50 million. Yeah. And that was just to stay alive. Yeah. So there's a tension here. If I were to teach this in class, uh, the tension is, uh, on the other hand, those are high margin, fast growing uh, areas of the store, but they're also hyper competitive. And so your answer would be, if you don't have massive resources, you got to stay out of that game and play one that 
can be played more for the long game. Yeah. And the thing about single serve is it's owned by Coke, Pepsi, Budweiser. So if you're not on their trucks, literally they stock the shelves themselves. Mm -hmm. So if you're not there every single day, they are, they'll just take your tag off to move your product to the side. I mean, it is, (laughs) I'm not, there's no exaggeration. It is a bloodbath. No one has succeeded. You have to literally have hundreds of millions of dollars where we're able to sell it in the back of the store have a high school kid bring it from the back, place it on the shelf. And that's a huge distinction that I've learned after, of course, seven years of doing this. Yeah. To what extent does your product have to be sold through distribution? And and the related question, to what extent can you build a direct relationship with your consumer? So what the margins don't allow us to do it, right? The unit economics of shipping a large, low priced product, you know, we're $5.99 for a 48 ounce bottle. That thing's almost four pounds. Yeah. So for us to ship it direct, there's just no margin for us to make money. We have to sell a truckload, a literal truckload to a distributor. And then if we don't do, even if we're doing a half truckload, I'm losing money. So we have to go through distribution just by the nature of our refrigerated business. So as you could imagine, freight and fuel is killing us right now because that's such a big cost for us. Because so of the it's weight. cold. It's cold chain. You've cold got chain it. the whole way. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I see. Um, if if you're just joining us, you're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio Series XM one thirty two. Today I'm joined by Alex French, who's the co-founder and CEO of Busy Coffee. Alex, say say just a little bit more about the logistics. I'm pretty curious. So you're moving you're moving a lot of water around, and it's not super high priced. So does that mean you have to be? Can you serve the whole U.S. from one location, or do you need to have multiple locations? Yeah, that we're in that discussion right now. Um, so we are moving right now. We're in a seven thousand square foot manufacturing plant. We've got another twenty thousand square feet. We're moving into a fifty thousand square foot plant to support our current national distribution. Yeah, but it's we are heavily debating setting up a West Coast facility and an East right. Coast facility. Our number one cost is coffee. Our number two cost is freight. And which one do we optimize for is the question. Um, So we don't have the answers yet. A lot of it comes down to scale and capacity. Um, So right now we're just trying to build scale, get our costs down, increase our purchasing. And then eventually there's a good chance that we will have multiple facilities across the country. Yeah. So you'll, yeah. So I, I I own a small business. We're going through the same thing. We're looking at Reno and Salt Lake city and, you know, other places where you can reach the West coast population centers uh, easily. Um, so you alluded to the factory. So I, that also surprised me. So you're making your own stuff. We are a manufacturing. Yep. Tell us about, walk us through that, how you, how you ended up down that path and whether that was the right path. Yeah. It was not by choice. Candidly. Um, we had a co-packer. We were extorted on our first production run for our national launch of a product in 2016. We had a nationwide launch. They, legitimately extorted us would not put our product on the truck if we didn't triple the amount of money that they wanted us to that we were contractually obligated to pay them we didn't have the money we had just enough money to buy a filling line and so out of necessity moved into a kombucha facility set up a filling line packaged our product ourselves and then at that point we're making it so let's just keep doing it and in retrospect you know, some of these, some of these decisions end up being, you know, you end up in this path dependency where it's hard to get out of it. But in retrospect, are you glad you went that way? 
because of our category and the dynamics, no one has capacity. So with where we are now, we wouldn't even be able to find a co-packer that could do what we're doing. So we wouldn't probably exist without it. Now, if I were to start a new business, I would not manufacture, at least out of the gates, maybe buy a manufacturing that's already up and running, but to start and scale a manufacturing business is a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. So I, speaking of the nightmare, I just looked on Crunchbase. I don't know if this number is accurate, but you've been, you've been in business seven years. It, it shows you only having raised 7 million in capital. If that's actually true, then that's remarkably lean. But maybe you can talk a little bit about how you have survived on lean capital. You know, for us, most of it was we had this Amazon business. I kind of talked about that coarse ground yeah. coffee that we have. And that prints money. I mean, that is an absolute ATM for us. And we basically financed all of our losses on the manufacturing retail side through that business. And then we've raised actually about 5 million in Mm -hmm. equity capital. And we've raised about another 6 million in debt. Mm -hmm. And again, only because of our ability with manufacturing to buy assets and use SBA funds. So again, pros and cons that we would have had a tougher time, but we were really lean. I mean, we didn't pay ourselves for two years. Everyone is underpaid, um, slept on the floor of the office for, you know, several months. So we've been very lean as the founders and in our personal income. And then we've just been extremely diligent on payment terms with our vendors and what we get from our customers because the Amazon pays you in every 14 days. Yeah. We're net 30 with, our customers that pay us. And then we try and go net 45 with our vendors. So we're trying to play the cash flow game as much as we can. Um, And then we've just been very diligent about every week when we cash starts getting close for cash, we're managing our cash flow by week. Mm -hmm. And then we'll raise at the last second. Of course, we try not to let our investors know it's the last second, Um, (laughs) but we raise at the last second to maximize valuation and and kind of minimize dilution. Yeah. What, what is the, investor pitch is, and maybe you talk a little bit about how the category has been playing out and what the expectations, what expectations you can set for these kinds of companies. Yeah, it's been really hard because it's very easy to make cold brew coffee. And there was a ton of competitors. I joked about the cold brew wars, but there will be a story about it because there was probably a hundred entrants into the category after us that were more funded because we're in Minneapolis and everyone's risk averse here. And so it was very difficult for a very long time, tons of personal guarantees, super high interest loans. And now it's a relatively easy pitch. It's cold brew coffee is going to be a $6 billion category. This is the future of coffee. It's like plant-based. It is the future. It's undeniable. And we're the only independent brand in the category. Mm-hmm. We are the fastest growing brand in refrigerated coffee we will be acquired and it will be for an incredible sum of money because there's 60 feet of coffee in the shelf stable aisle and they're old legacy brands like Maxwell House and Folgers and no millennial or Gen Z is going to drink a Maxwell House cold brew. So they, someone will have to buy us and supply and demand means we're going to have to charge a lot. And it's going to be a a good exit for us. Yeah. So that's kind of the pitch that I say now. Yeah. Great, great pitch. Um, And so so, so tell me how you think about it. Uh, you're, you're, you're a young man, you're having fun, but on the other hand, this, this has been a, you know, tough slog. Mm-hmm. So um, 
do you think about this as the next milestone is that it is is that acquisition and i've got to do x y and z to build something that's super valuable uh is that the way you're thinking about it and is that the right way to think about it yeah yeah i mean i we still control the business and now that i'm a manufacturing i've learned there's a ton of value in having a lot of assets that depreciate yeah. so there's value in just owning a manufacturing business mm -hmm. so i don't want to lose sight of that but at the same time i think there's an incredible opportunity for us to have an acquisition down the road yeah and so i am thinking about my business as a product mm -hmm. where before i had to optimize my product for the consumer and the retail buyer and now I'm thinking to myself, how do I build a business that becomes a product for someone to acquire? Mm -hmm. And so absolutely, what, what revenue do we need? Can I extend outside of coffee or would that limit my buyer universe and make it mm -hmm. less attractive? Mm -hmm. So yes, absolutely thinking about what are the steps that would be required to have a successful acquisition and starting to kind of chart that path. But yeah. knowing that we just want to build a good business and if the valuations aren't right, we're going to stick with it because it is kind of fun. Yeah. But, you know, there's a, there's a conflict in this story, a tension in the story, because the first part of the story was you didn't know what you were doing or you knew a lot about the wrong stuff because you were you knew a lot about General Mills, which was pretty irrelevant to, to, to bootstrapping. Mm -hmm. um, and then... And then you made these a bunch of decisions because you had no choice, but now you end up in a spot where it kind of looks like you made the right choices, right? Yeah. Uh, and and so, what advice would you give? I have to teach this stuff. What advice would you give to entrepreneurs? Would you say construct a plan based on what you eventually want to sell in eight years? Would you advise that, or would you say no? Scratch your own itch, and and figure it out as you go. Yeah, I think absolutely scratch your own edge and figure it out as you go. And we've come full circle on our business from where our initial format was to pivoting to coming back to where we are basically where we started in 2014. And so I think it's scratch your own itch. Ideally, you are the customer because that way you don't got to do all this consumer learning. You can ask yourself and your friends, hey, would we buy this? Yes or no. And then you can at least use that as a good gut check. And I think it's very critical to stick with your hypothesis the whole time. Like the reason you're starting a business is because you have a unique perspective, you have a unique insight. And as long as you stay true to solving the problem with that insight, be, be flexible in the solution, but be rigid and laser focused on the problem. And as long as you can stay in the game long enough, eventually you will be successful if you're willing to iterate and adapt and stay focused on that problem. Yeah. All right. Last topic. We're almost out of time. You started this business with your roommate. I, I'm guessing you're not still roommates, but are you are you still partners? And 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 what what are your reflections on partnership? Yeah. And I what, mean, what advice you give? We were actually roommates for seven years. We just split up, if you will, wow. in October of last year. We both moved in with our girlfriends, respective girlfriends. Um, we were super complimentary. So that's probably extremely rare lucky for our investors because we just never stopped working no matter what we were doing we were talking about work and the business so lucky for them um your business partner is critical right it's like a marriage you're signing contracts is probably more structured than a marriage is candidly um and higher risk so i think that you have to choose very carefully make sure they're complimentary but yeah we still i mean we work out together all the time we're best friends we grab beers still still shoulder to shoulder on this one
Wow. That's, yeah. that's a, that's a great story. I'm so happy to hear that. That's, yeah, that's, thanks. that's awesome. Um, all right, Alex. Well, I think we're going to leave it on that upbeat note. So thanks so much for joining us. Where, where can our listeners learn more and where can they find busy coffee? Yeah, find us at uh, busycoffee.com. Otherwise, you can find us on Amazon or hopefully or in your local grocery store in the dairy aisle. Yeah, and it's busy, B-I-Z-Z-Y, busycoffee.com. Just remember, busy coffee for busy people. All right, there you go. All right, thanks, Alex. Thank you. That's all for today. If you missed any of the last hour, feel free to check it out on the SiriusXM app and be sure to follow our channel on Twitter at SXMBusiness. To follow me, go to my website, ktulrich.com. That's K-T-U-L-R-I-C-H. Or follow me on Twitter at KT Ulrich. I'm Carl Ulrich. I'm a professor at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. And you've been listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132.